I'm very pleased to have Arif Kamal with me today. He has been a CFO, Finance Director and Operations Director for a long time and has a huge cross-sectoral experience. He's worked for legal firms as a CFO. He's worked in property development companies. He's also done a non-exec director's position, chair of the audit committee, chair of the remuneration committee for the NHS, and been involved in lots of charity work in the charity sector. Welcome, Arif. It's a real pleasure to have you with me. Thank you very much indeed, Talita. It's good to be here and thank you for inviting me to your series of interviews. It's a real pleasure. Could you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yes, I'm currently working for a 300-year law law firm as the Chief Finance and Operations Officer based in Lincoln's Inn in London. I've been here for now just over two years. Prior to this, I was with a shipping law firm for five years. And prior to that, I was in the property sector uh, for 17 years as a group FD. So a long career as a CFO. Indeed is, yes. I've learned on the way and I'm still learning. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that, that openness uh, to learning. What I particularly like about your career is the sector experience and the charity work that you've also done. And what really surprised me is that you've been a non-exec director for the NHS. Yes, I was fortunate enough to be invited to join a primary care trust in 2010 as a non-executive director. And I saw a lot of change in the NHS when the primary care trusts converted into uh, clinical commissioning groups. And I was part of the eight primary care trusts for Westminster with a budget of four billion pounds. And I was part of the audit committee, remuneration committee, and I chaired the health and safety committee. So on, on that, in that role, I learned quite a bit and I brought things back to my own company, the property consultancy, where I applied what I learned from the NHS and I also took it the other way around as well. So, so it was a win-win situation. No, it was absolutely fine. It was a win-win situation in my view. That's fantastic. You're bringing a lot of board level experience and board level leadership. And um, of course, your experiences of what makes a great leader in the boardroom as well. Yes, I, I believe that I have learned with all the roles I have had and fortunate enough to have a good team behind me as well, who have supported me in everything which I really wanted to do, like the non-exec role with the blessing of my fellow directors there. Fantastic. So Arif, let's start, you know, we're talking about these leadership, this leadership hypothesis, what makes a great leader. And perhaps mm. you can start by telling me, in your opinion, what makes a great leader? Right, I think there are a few ingredients which every leader needs to have. And I would start by saying that, first of all, the leader needs to establish the direction they want to take the business or whoever they are leading in that direction. They need to align the people so they are committed to what the goal is or the vision is. And they need to motivate and inspire their people who are on their journey with them. So in a sense, if I just turn it around a little bit differently, we need to ask as leaders, do our people know what we want them to do? Do they believe it is the right thing to do? Do they have the right skills and the ability to deliver? And are they motivated and inspired to do it? So the leader has got to play a very critical role in all that area. Yes, that's, that's four very important areas, I think. And it's also bringing there, if they have the right skills, then if they don't, to grow and develop those skills. Exactly right. You need to empower the people coming on the journey with you. So they 
are motivated enough, inspired to deliver themselves, and you need to delegate. You can't do everything yourself. Yeah, I think that's something when we, we start out, we don't quite get that. We still quite want to do lots of things ourselves. And, um, you know, one can get into real trouble when you work too many long hours and you don't empower the team. Yes, exactly right. And a leader's job is to create more leaders so the people become leaders themselves and they are coming up with ideas and vision which you can maybe adapt yourself. Fantastic. So also learning from people that are coming up through the organization. So definitely never too old to learn, if we could make it, say it like that. Yeah, not either not too old to learn and not too junior to make a contribution. Just because you're junior or a younger person doesn't mean that you do not have a role to play. Fantastic. And Arif, if you could give a leader some advice on where to start, either when they're in a new position or if they just want to refresh their leadership a bit, what would you suggest? They need to be sure of their own abilities and capabilities first and foremost. They need to be motivated themselves as to what motivates them. For example, in my case, I am motivated by seeing as to what success would look like and having a vision as to how I, do, I need to get there. So self-awareness, empathy with others is absolutely critical. And you need to be inspiring. You need to be sure of yourself. You need to be confident and you need to communicate very well so people understand your vision clearly. I like that. The confidence um, and getting people to understand your vision. What if perhaps as a leader um, you feel that you don't have all the answers? Where do you get the answers? You have your team with you, so you discuss things with the team and they might come up with the solutions which you may have never thought of. So it's not just you who's going to provide all the solutions, it's a team thing. Great. I, I think that's so valuable and so important that you use the collective brilliance of the team to find the answers that you need. I see so many leaders who think they need to have all the answers, but that's just not the reality. It's not possible, actually, for one, one individual to have all the answers. They need a very good team who they're happy with working with and work together, actually, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You've spoken a lot about um, team and people, but how important do you think those interactions are with the team? Absolutely critical. Absolutely critical. You need to be interacting with the team at all times. They should be free to approach you because some people have, if they're in a leadership position, closed door policy or they have got so hierarchy that certain people cannot approach them directly. But in my case, I've always felt that the, any member of the team should be able to say, approach and do whatever they need to without any hesitation. Mm-hmm. And those team interactions with the team collective, would you say that developing as a team collectively is really important? Exactly right. To get the team mix is absolutely right. And if you feel that there is one individual within the team who is not really following the path the rest of the team is carrying on with, then it's a leader's job to make sure that that person either comes on board or is off the bus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, I had one interview where a leader said um, they thought that one of their weaknesses was not to quickly enough deal with an issue in the team. 
they let it slide for too long and it caused a lot of problems within the team and actually that should have been dealt with a lot sooner. That's a very important point, uh, point Alita, because the leader needs to be decisive. If they dither, procrastinate, it is not good for the team morale. They need someone who will be able to make a decision and the decision may not be the right one, but at least a decision has been made and people need to just follow that through and, and tweak it if necessary. But with no direction, no decision making is always, a, I think, a very, very risky, risky policy to adapt. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So in your opinion, what holds some leaders back from reaching their full potential, Arif? In many cases, I think it's a fear of the unknown. But as uh, I think one of the ex-US presidents said that fear, anything to fear is fear itself. And that's, I, that's what I've tried to follow. But it's the fear of the unknown. But we live in an uncertain world. So even if you get things wrong, it is not the end of the world, as long as it's a calculated risk. So don't be afraid to take risks. That's what I would say. Yes. I, I see, um, and with that, not afraid to take risks is the fear of failure. That's right. That's, that's also something quite prevalent. It is, and with failure, I think people need to be adaptable. So whatever situation they are in, they need to change direction, be flexible, do things differently, so adapt to the situation they are in. So not say that it's a failure, but say that we've done this differently. Mm-hmm. Arif, do you perhaps have a great story of leadership to share? Um, I have got a few, but the one which I have resonated with most is the uh, one of the recent ones at Hunter's Law LLP, where I've been now for two years. And my, one of my first tasks was to look at the remuneration structure of the partnership. And, you know, traditionally law firms are based on lockstep basis. So if you reach a certain level, whether you contribute or not, you are entitled to a share of the profits of the business. But of course, if you're a high flyer, you're demotivated because you're contributing a lot while there are others who have been on the journey for many years but not pulling their weight. So it seems unfair to share the profits equally in that respect. So one of my tasks or one of my things was to have a profit-based, performance-based profit-sharing policy, which is something new to many law firms. And with Hunters, which is a very traditional firm, it took a lot of effort to get 30 partners to agree to this change. But in the end, I did get it by explaining to them as to why it was important. And everyone is on board now. So this is the first year of that policy. And I hope that it will continue and we will continue to improve it as well. And how did you do that convincing, Arif? Right. Convincing is to sell the problem first. If you sell the problem to the people first and they understand there's an issue here, they will buy a solution. But if you try to tell them this is the solution, many people will not accept it. They need to appreciate there's an issue here. And my task was to explain to the people that there is an issue here we need to address, otherwise there are going to be problems in the future. And that's how I did it. So it's very much taking everyone on that journey with you and getting them to buy into what is, what is the pain, so to say, or what are the causes? Exactly right, yeah. And people to recognize there is pain, actually, because some people feel or are oblivious to the pain which is there, but once it's explained and, and described to them properly, they understand and appreciate, and they become part of your journey. Mm-hmm. 
And um, do you perhaps also have a story of maybe not such positive leadership that you'd like to see share so that others can learn and grow from that? Um, I, I would say that uh, so far I have been able to convince people on the decisions I have tried to make and take. Uh, and I see that I need to be adaptable and flexible. So people do not say that it's a failure of a policy or a direction, but they understand there's a different way of doing things. That's how I have done. I've just adapted myself to different situations. So more a continuous improvement rather than you write something and it's written in stone, more going, okay, if, if parts of it aren't working, being adaptable to changing that. So inevitably, there's no real failure because you're adapting and continuously changing. Yes, and you have to be a lifelong learner as well. Like you have to continue to learn. It doesn't mean that you have reached a certain stage that you stop learning. You have to continue learning. Yeah, I found that when we met each other many years ago, I found that really refreshing. We were always seeing each other at courses. So you were always very positive about growing and developing and learning. That's right. And I make a point of making new contacts and anyone who can maybe, you know, enlighten me with anything, I approach them proactively. Let's talk just a little bit about that board level interaction because you have a lot of uh, boardroom um, um, skills and, and experience. So what would you say is really a visionary leader for you? When you, the, the leaders that you've worked for that have really inspired you on those boards, what has been some of their characteristics? Right, I think I could summarize those characteristics into say maybe eight points, eight bullet points if that's okay. Yes, of course. Yeah. Uh, let me start by saying that, first of all, the leaders I have worked with, they have been very inspiring. So they set the vision. They're very clear about the direction they're going into. They establish the culture. So people in that team truly understand as to what it is all about, why we are doing what we are doing, and how we are going to do it. And they lead by example. So leader doesn't say, you do as I say, but I will not do the same thing. You have to lead by example. Make others feel capable, confident, and strong. And change, thrive on change. Leaders must thrive on change. They should not accept status quo. They should also always ask why we are doing the things we are doing. Should we do it a different way? Should, is there a better way to do it? They need to be a learner. They need to foster teamwork. And they need to be able to handle adversity. Because adversity, in my view, is not the issue itself in many cases. It is how you deal with adversity. And that is the real critical role of the leader to deal with adversity in a positive way. I think that's another very important point. So I do a lot of training for the Institute of Directors. And we always say we don't want the boardroom to be a comfortable place. Mm. It's a comfortable place. You're not challenging each other constructively. And if it's too comfortable, then it means that you're not really stretching yourself, stretching the organization, possibly not even asking the right questions. So I think your point on how you deal with the adversity and how you deal with the constructive challenge is a very, very important one. Correct. And leaders must be able to have difficult conversations as well. You know, sometimes they are just afraid of or maybe reluctant to have honest conversations, but it is absolutely important that they do that at all levels. Mm -hmm. 
And, um, you know, what I really love about your career is all these different sectors that you're moving around in. And so if, if you join a new, a new company, how do you build those relationships with the board, with the other board members? What are your top, top tips for those relationships? Arif? I mean, I'll give you an example. When I joined Hunters, there are 28 partners. And I had to understand as to what motivated them, what is it in it for them. So I had a one-to-one session with each of them individually so within a week after joining. And I got to know them better, actually. I asked about their personal lives, what motivates them, what motivates them outside work, inside work, what sort of work-life balance they would like. So I got a lot of information. And based on that, before I presented the strategy to them, I knew a lot of information about them themselves. So you need to understand what is motivating the people around you as well. I love that. I find, um, I also believe in, if, if I could use the word individualization as, mm-hmm. as a core leadership strength, where you try to see who is this individual, whether it's the counterpart that's on the board with you or the person that you're leading, trying to understand who is this person, what drives them, what motivates them, what matters, and you've kind of totally um, enforced that with exactly how you got to know these people on this board so that you can um, convince them. Exactly. And then after, I do a follow-up as well. So after a year, I just have three questions to ask people after understanding as to what it is in the first place. The, the three questions are, what is working, what is not working, and what is missing, which is very easy to articulate for most people. And that gives an, another dimension to the information gathering yeah i find the the power the power of questions is really important i think sometimes the more questions we ask the more we uncover if we're open to listening to the answers properly exactly right yes definitely so um arif what has uh surprised you in terms of the covid crisis it's um the thing which i was really surprised was how quickly people adapted to the new way of working, especially in hunters where, I mean, I can be honest that we are slightly behind the curve in terms of technology and the way of flexible, agile working. People were not really uh, flexible enough to accept that this is the new way of the world. But this crisis has really accelerated the change process. We have digitized, we have worked very effectively remotely and now with the staff survey nearly 80 percent of the people want a bit of flexibility they don't want to be five days a week in the office they want maybe two days or three days in the office two days at home whatever and uh, technology is another thing that we need to be abreast of new technology because this will be the differentiating factors for many businesses yeah, I think this pivot to the whole online and virtual and working more flexibly is really important. And you and I had some conversations before. I think the culture was not there yet to allow working from home, working flexibly. And I think overnight that's now being pushed and being um, you know, facilitated by the crisis. Would you say you would ever go back to working in that organization the way you used to? I don't think so. And I think if, if that happened, then probably I'll have to leave, actually. But <laughs> <laughs> a step too far back. <laughs> but I think people have now accepted, you know, previously people used to ask questions if someone was working from home, say maybe for even a day, they were doubtful as to what they're doing. But no one says that anymore because they see the productivity and the delivery by people. 
So it's a new world and we have got to continuously change. That sounds good. That sounds good. So keeping the good things that have that COVID has brought. Yes, I mean, you can never be positive about a crisis. So I do realize that how bigger issue it is and so many people have lost their lives. But at the same time, it has given an opportunity to many businesses, many organizations to look at themselves as to how they've been doing things and what should be different. So the crisis has really catapulted many organizations to make the changes they had to make anyway. But say, in Hunters, a year's work has been done in two months, so to speak, in terms of IT, for example, technology, the way people work, document management system, all electronic as opposed to paper-based. So it's a, it's a remarkable change and very successful one as well. Fantastic. That's a really, really good story. Arif, how do you manage to keep yourself motivated and focused? And um, I'm sure as a CFO, there are many, many challenges that come up all the time. So how do you deal with that? Yes, I mean, in terms of being motivated, it's important to be self-motivated motivated if you're going to motivate others. And in my case, what I do is I look at as to what the future success would look like. And then I see as to how we are going to get there. And I'm a positive person by nature. So my, in my case, the glass is always half full. Yes, yeah, so you, you set that goal, you set the steps up towards the goal, and then you just start moving. And you've already said you're quite adaptable. So if you have um, uh, roadblocks in the way, you kind of just find a way around them. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely right, yes, yeah. So mainly imagining what success would look like, and then I work towards that objective. Fantastic. Arif, would you say there's um, anything that you wish people would ask you, but they never do? There, there is not much there, but maybe people are not aware of my the charity sector, sector work which I have done or the non-exec role which I have done. So unless you've read my CV or seen my profile on LinkedIn, people would not know that about me. And many of my colleagues are not aware of those facts. Yes, and it's so, so interesting that sometimes we don't ask those questions. I mean, we've known each other, I think, for over three, three and a half years now. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, I never knew that either until I looked at your LinkedIn profile in more detail. So it shows you. Uh, yes, yeah. I think a lot of people have got a lot of other, other, so to speak, qualities or whatever, but uh, they never may, they're never mentioned in conversations, so to speak. I also know that you're very passionate about culture because you and I have had many conversations about the, uh, over the three years about culture. Could you just say a little bit more about why you're passionate about culture and what your beliefs are in that regard? Yeah, culture, I relate culture to values of an organization. So it is how you treat others within an organization, how you conduct business externally, internally, how you interact. So each organization has got its own DNA and that DNA is the culture of that organization. And it doesn't mean that something which is working in, a, in one organization can be applied to the other one as well. Each one has got to have its own culture and is based on a set of values, purpose, ambitions. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing that very much came through for me, you used the word role modeling before, that the leader has to role model. I think that's really important in terms of culture. Would you agree? 
Yes, absolutely. That a leader needs to lead by example, should not be afraid of doing the things which he's asking the team to do. They need to do it themselves, be part of it, get their hands dirty. So people know that they're all in it together rather than just being directed. It brings me to an uh, interesting story. Mm -hmm. I uh, try to do this project around changing the culture, creating a more um, flexible working environment for some large companies. Mm -hmm. And um, once I had a conversation with one of the students and he said to me, but your top leadership is not really serious, serious about this change. And I was like, why are you saying that? And he said, because the CEO isn't uh, dressing down. He, he always just wears his same suit. <laughs> and it just shows you the power of that role modeling. Because they didn't see him also dress differently, they assumed that there was no seriousness around the culture. Exactly right. Yeah, you have to have lead by example, definitely. Yeah, so if, if you want to start a change, start doing it yourself, I would suggest. Yes, and the commitment at the top has to be there for any change to work effectively. If the commitment at the top is not there as a team, then it will not work. Mm -hmm. I agree. Mm. So, Arif, it's been a real pleasure. Is there anything still from your side that you'd like to say? Any last quest uh, questions to me or any last comments? Uh, I think, uh, Talita, I think it's a very good series that you're doing and I've enjoyed the other interviews which I have listened to on this series so far. So it's great work which you're doing and I hope that it will come out as a publication when you do finish this exercise, like your other book, which I've thoroughly enjoyed on authenticity. So thank you very much for including me in this process. Thank you so much, Arif, for the time and also sharing your stories. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.